G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby, uh, another podcast during Lions further. Joining, it's Matt Rowley. Joining me, I've got uh, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you? Good, mate. And how are you? Yeah, very well. This is our daily podcast now, right? Yeah, that's it. What's Someone up? said yesterday, five in five days. Yeah, what are we going to do? I don't, you know, once uh, once Lions ends, um, I'll know. need to sleep. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> but look. Um, Special podcast today, we've got the two squads announced, so there's a lot to talk about, but also to help us talk over that, um, special guest uh, from all the way from the UK, obviously he can represent the UK opinion, but he's also a bit of a coaching guru, is Dan Cottrell, he's the editor of Rugby Coach Weekly, um, long-time friend of Green and God Rugby. G'day Dan, how are you mate? Um, very good, thank you. Good. Now... I understand that it's such a nice summer up there that you've been forced to wear a bobble hat um, <laughs> during this podcast. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's because uh, you forced me to wear some uh, earphones and uh, I've got kids who uh, eat earphones, obviously, and the only set I could find is one with a, a bobble hat. So uh, uh, you've asked me to post a picture and I'm, I'm thinking about it. But, uh, uh, since it's so early in the morning, it does hi- uh, hide the, the uh, horrendous hair that uh, you wake up to at uh, whatever the hour is. But actually, I must say it is uh, sunny for about the first time ever in Wales. Uh, for two days on the trot, so that's our summer for you. All right, you're breaking records. I've got a mental yeah. picture now of you. If this podcast goes too long, you start to have sweat dripping down. <laughs> um, I'm sweating already. I'm sweating already. <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's get stuck into it. Um, first thing is obviously we've got the two teams announced. So maybe if we go through uh, what those changes are and have a discussion about what that means or what we think the thinking is um, behind those. The Wallabies came out first. I'm not quite sure what's going on with the media pattern anymore. It seems that, that you know we get told it's one time, and then um, uh, Paul Kelly from the uh, from the SMH then uh, leaks it at the beginning of the day. But um, with the Wallabies, there's some forced changes, which I don't think surprise too many people. Um, Obviously, what we've got is um, Beric Barnes is out, and so Kirtley Beals uh, has come into uh, 15. Um, we've also, and then sort of backing up and, and then backing up and taking those, oh, sorry, the other winger out for Digby Ione um, is then uh, Joe Tamani. Uh, so then kind of slotting into those two places, you've got Rob Horn moving to the bench and Jesse Mogg, and there were two discussions that... Uh, you know, Scott and I had uh, just during the week. They were kind of our, our best guesses for what would happen there. Um, probably what's more interesting, though, are those changes that Dean's hasn't made. So the first one is uh, O'Connor is getting another crack at 10, and I don't think uh, any of us were surprised by that, although obviously that's caused a lot of discussion. The second one is that George Smith is nowhere to be seen. He's not even in the squad. He's publicly saying he's fit and ready to go. The other rumours I've heard, which sound like they all kind of leaked to the press, were that he's not quite fit. So there's some sort of disconnect there, or actually, um, or maybe, who knows, it wouldn't be the first time a first-class athlete has said he's fully fit when he's not. 
And then finally, there's uh, Wycliffe Palu keeping the eight role. And even if that's not a surprise, I think we're probably a little surprised that Deans has stayed with um, full lock cover in Rob Simmons and no kind of combo in there um, who could who could be able to cover him and and, and uh, a lock at the same time. So that's what's happened on the on the Wallabies side. Um, Scott, yeah, how surprised or not are you with those changes? Um, I don't think I've got anything to comment. I think you've covered it all. No, <laughs> uh, I'm surprised there's no George Smith. Yeah. I, I really did expect to see him. Um, I'm not surprised that James O'Connor's starting at 10, but Robbie Deans has well and truly pinned his colours to the mast on that, hasn't he? Mm. If, it, if it doesn't work again, um, then his career as a Wallaby coach may be coming to an end as a result of that. Mm. Um, and I share your view on, on the lock cover on the bench. Mm. Um, you know, the numbers I put out the other day showed that Wycliffe Palu, you know, he worked hard in the first 15 minutes of both halves and then that was it. Mm. He basically did nothing in the 25 minutes of each half and we can't afford to carry a back rower like that. Particularly, we'll talk about the Lions changes in a minute, but I think they've bolstered their ability at the breakdown in mm. their changes and we could suffer from that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dan, looking at it with your full lion supporter hat on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm not sure if that's the same beanie, but, um, you know, when you look at that and you look at those changes, do you feel uh, we've dodged a bullet or do you feel, wow, they've made it more dangerous? Um, What's your gut feeling on on what that new Wallabies side looks like? Well, I think the first thing is um, the the James O'Connor debate. And uh, I sense that... um, uh, that Deans has probably said uh, that's the combination of 10 and 12 I wanted I've been working with it it's in my mind and I think that's there's a balance there I think uh, when Scott um, did his analysis of the way that James O'Connor played um, he didn't touch the ball that often in the second half uh, he didn't look like he controlled the game so much in the first half but he's such a talented player that he'd want to get his hands on the ball as much as possible so I think that looks quite quite a dangerous combination and uh, when we look at the, the Lions' back row, that might just be, uh, there might be an edge there. Um, I think that back line looks quite tasty, actually, mm-hmm. uh, and might be, um, as you suggest, and as others suggested, that uh, the injuries might have um, actually played into the Australians' hands, because I think that that's, um, that's quite exciting, and I think it's hungry. I, th- I think you're right about the... Um, some of the changes in the, the back, but uh, in, the, in the back row. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know because uh, I I don't know what the sense is but is uh, the, the mission of Smith actually saying we want people who are extremely hungry to win this and I know that uh, George Smith is a hungry and a very competitive player but the youngsters um, you've got to think to the future and, you, and Deans might be saying look if I survive this uh, if I survive this test these tests uh, then um, these are the people who are going to take me forward and are going to take me forward into uh, 2015. Mm. I've, been, I've just been reading Bob Dwyer's um, uh, um, autobiography and, uh, of course, he's had a few things to say. And one of the things he said about selection is that uh, you should avoid short-term selections at all costs. And George Smith would have been a short-term selection and I think that that's perhaps one of the, the feelings behind it. Mm. But I would say that... Um, I think that's a. I don't think that there are any players there. I'm thinking, well, why aren't they in there? I mean, there's always the Quay Cooper question, but I think there's good reasons why he's not there. But uh, the the one that you point out is the lock cover, 
uh, Rob Simmons there. What what happens if uh, one of the the big bat rows goes down? How's that going to work out? I mm. uh, I don't know who would you have instead of Simmons. What Peter Kimlin or Hugh McBenamin, who can both play six and lock yeah. very well. Yeah, and they've showed up extremely well in the uh, in the games running up. So exactly uh, that that's that seems to me uh, a mistake. I mean, the way that the bench was emptied in the in the previous game. Uh, some of it was forced, and some of it did it did it enhance the team. I mean, that's the question you sometimes got to ask. Mm. Well, as usual, I mean, it, it always feels like um, Robbie Dean's bench policy always has us at panic stations, one way or another. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why. But I mean, having said that, I mean, you know, as Scott had, has mentioned in a few places, um, we sustained injuries that you just wouldn't expect. Um, from minute one on, um, which probably would have scuppered just about anyone's plans. I'm not sure you could have planned for that. But it, it just seems to me, if, if for example, Hugh McMenamin, he just seems made for that role. He's a, he's a genuine lock. Um, I don't think you're going to lose anything in the scrum for him, yet he's you know mobile enough to play six, like Scott said. And then you've got, if not him, if he's not fit, then you've got Kimlin, who's absolutely been, he's literally played the best three games of his life the last three times he's run out, one of them against the Lions. So yeah, it, it's hard not to see. Whereas, for example, Rob Simmons, I mean, I was looking at your... Uh, video that that, that um, refereeing video you did, Scott, and it's got that one with the balls out of the uh, of the Wallaby ruck, yes. and, and it's Rob Simmons stood over it looking at it, and then you know, and the refs even shouted, "The ball is out!" and Rob Simmons looks down at the ball. <laughs> um, you know, I, it just he's never struck me as the sharpest operator, but then he's a lineout caller. I don't know, maybe that conflicts, but um, you know, him as backup doesn't doesn't blow me away. Um, and when you look at that, I mean, back to your point though, Dan, I think it was an interesting one about why no Smith, um, assuming he's fit enough to play. Um, I'd have questions about that when you've been out. Is it, has he been out for five weeks, um, from contact rugby? But, um, I think the interesting one, like Scott, when you looked at the analysis, it's like, well, neither Hooper nor Gill blew, blew us away with their performance in the first test. And, um, surely they were just as hungry then. So you would think, and we know that Dean's, coming into the series was planning to have um, Smith as his starting uh, seven. So it's an interesting one. I, I, you wonder what's, you know, what, what's changed, what's changed the minds if it's not fitness. I can only think it's that. You see, do you see anything else, Scott? No, I th- we, we do know from very well placed source that he was going to select him at seven. Um, um, we know that the comments have been coming out as, as normally happens with Dean's when he's going to do something you start getting leaks to the media, and the leaks to the media early in the week were how well George Smith was going at training and the impact he was having and mm. you know, his experience, etc., etc., and then left out. It sounds to me like he's not ready to go. Yeah. Okay. All right, so that's... But, sorry. Any... But I, I, would just, I would just add in there that mm. uh, I think that uh, Hooper and Gill are such exciting players, um, and... Uh, you, you go on to that um, into that test match uh, atmosphere against the Lions, and you're playing at home, and yet you look into the crowd, and there's uh, there's as many, not many red faces. I suppose there's a few red faces uh, in yellow hats sometimes when <laughs> yeah. curly kicks, but there are lots of uh, there's lots of red. There's the massive massive atmosphere, and uh, you you've got to pick up your game and play your own game. And I think that uh, with one one of those tests behind them. They'll come back and they'll be hungrier. I, I agree. I didn't think that they made much of an impact, but I didn't think there was much of an impact from other players who were supposed to be um, 
be d- making a difference. I mean, I don't think Warburton has actually fired yet. I think Tom Youngs was um, under par as well. And they're young players. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that these guys could come through. I, I'm expecting something really to happen from Hooper. I think uh, Ben Ben Moen, for instance, had a massive game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that someone said to me, is, this a bloke, is there a bloke out there called Phillips Moen? Because the way that he, uh, he <laughs> shut down Mike Phillips. Um, so I, I think that someone like Ben Moen stepped up in this game. And I think given some of the games that Hooper's played, I mean, he was man of the match, I think, in uh, 2012 against either England or Wales. He, he's... Um, He's one. He was one game off a, a great game, and uh, that's that's the worry. And I think we have we will see a different sort of breakdown um, game where uh, Hooper and Warburton and others might uh, actually make a bit more of an impact this time. Well, I, I agree with you that um, both of those guys, um, Gill and Hooper, have that have the ability that to to break through in one of these tests. Um, uh, they just didn't in the last one. But what's interesting to your point as well is I think out of all six of the back rowers at the ba- breakdown. Um, you know, I would agree with you that Mullen was probably the only one who stood out. Um, and then, you know, probably he's outside, he was outside of the back row, but then O'Connell was probably the next one. Um, yeah. But that probably then leads us to the British and Irish Alliance changes, um, where Gatland has said today, you know, he, he, don't know, he doesn't know who said that you don't change a winning team, but um, he disagrees with them because he's, he's made a few changes. I believe it's kind of like five and all. But probably the first one to talk about is that back row. Very interesting. It's the opposite decision to what Deans has done. Um, so the, with obviously O'Connell coming out, um, they, when they've filled up the, the bench, they haven't put, um, they've put Paling in, Paling in, sorry, to, um, to, to fill O'Connell's space, but they haven't then, uh, put in, uh, another lock onto the bench. Instead, they've made some changes to the back row. So, um, now we've got Dan Lydiot who's come in, who I thought had a really good game during the week. He's come in at, at starting six. Um, Croft has moved to the bench. But then instead of a lock, um, they've put in Sean O'Brien, um, the Irish flanker, who's, you know, a lot of people have been arguing he should be there or thereabouts. Um, so, Dan, what does this tell us, these, these, these decisions that he's made here? What does this tell us that Gatlin's thinking about? Well, I think, first of all, Gatlin, uh, he's, he's a very, very wise coach. And I think a lot of people have been coming out with that more and more, that he's, uh, he's pragmatic and he thinks, uh, he thinks about the balance of the team. And I think that looks like a very balanced pack. Paul O'Connell, as you said earlier on, uh, what you lose with him is someone who not only uh, goes around and hits rucks, but he also um, chances the ball on the floor. So Tom Croft is not that sort of player. So it's uh, the better balance is to bring someone in. Parling is uh, the line-out jumper that Croft is and um, will probably run the line-out. Uh, we might even get a few more calls uh, to the back of the line-out if Parling is there. So I think he's gone for balance. Um, I think Sean O'Brien is an impact player, uh, more so than Lydia, where I think Lydia is definitely one of those guys who starts. I just wonder, I wonder at the start of the tour whether he was fully fit, and I think he's played himself into fitness. So I think that the Wallabies probably, if you if they're looking down that, um, that British and Irish lines 1-8, to eight, they're going to worry about Lydia uh, starting. Um, but they will be breathing a, um, a sigh of relief that Paul O'Connell isn't there because O'Connell is such an influence on the game. Mm. Um, and I think they've also lost a bit of a, a captaincy bullet as well there because O'Connell's influence on referees is still enormous. He is relentless in uh, the way that he talks to referees. Mm. And 
uh, he is in your face. He is almost spitting in the, the face of the referee. And he's a big man, and he's going to start tower over Juba and tell him uh, what he thinks. And um, he is also, I think he gets away with um, a few things on the, on the floor and the way he plays. And I think that's a big loss. I think Lydia adds a massive tackle uh, option, uh, which probably the Lions missed. And uh, I think Parling uh, offers that extra oomph in the line-out. Mm. So I think it's a, it's a good balance. It's a good balance off the bench. I think if O'Brien comes on, uh, you'll see a bit more ball carrying. I don't think, well, Warburton and Young's uh, made about zero metres with the ball uh, over the game line. So that gives an extra extra uh, punch from there. But again, I think that, uh, as someone's pointed out, uh, Mako at uh, number one, I think there's a there's a, there's definitely a, a, a sigh of relief there because um, he isn't as strong a scrummager as Corby Cero. And, um, but I think that's a set piece is a, a question we need to come back to a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so o- overall, I think in the, in the forwards, it's a balanced team. Uh, uh, Warren's not afraid to make changes. He's not afraid to tell somebody they're not good enough. Um, that looks a better team to me. Um, I think the question mark might have been whether O'Brien might have slipped in for Warburton. Uh, but since Warburton's captain, um, he's, he keeps his place. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just wondering, I mean, uh, with the way Lydiate was tackling with those um, kind of very low siding tackles, whether he and Warburton um, might be able to form uh, quite a good sort of t- turnover partnership there, um, which could be interesting to watch. Um, Scott, I mean, you, you've talked a lot around and you've been looking very closely um, at the set piece and at the scrum. Um, I've got to think you feel Vunapola in uh, you know, weakens the Lions' side? I think it weakens it significantly. Mm-hmm. I think rather than just go to the point of, you know, we should do well, I actually think the Wallabies can dominate the scrum, mm-hmm. well, given Vunapola. That, that'll, <laughs> that'll be a new feeling. Um, what about, um, but I, I think we're going to come back to that in, in a little while, I sense that um, I don't want to steal um, a discussion point you, you've probably got there, Dan. Um, why don't, um, the other couple of changes we've got then um, is Ben Young's. So I think, now Mike Phillips didn't have a great game for his and um, I've got that, that memory of when, as as uh, Genia was running down the field and you had, you know, Phillips kind of, who just seemed to be jogging behind him. I, I didn't know mm. if he was just done for pace or what it was. Um, but he didn't seem to have one of his best games, but I understand the word is that he's injured. Um, so that's why he's out and not even on the bench. So Ben Young's come in, comes in and then Connor Murray um, is on the bench in, instead. And then the only other change is uh, Tommy Bow is back, one of the fastest. This is the fastest healing back three in the world. Um, <laughs> he, he's come back in and then that's moved Cuthbert to the bench. What do you think about those two changes, Scott, as far as is that a you know, advantage who are those changes? Well, I think given how uh, little impact Phillips had in the first match, whether he was injured, and if it was a knee injury, that might explain a lot. I think Young's is a lot more threatening for the Wallabies. Yeah. So I think that's that's improved the Lions team. Uh, I always thought Tommy Bowe was going to be one of the starters, and I think, again, that improves the team. You lose nothing in your attack. He's still a big guy, same as Cuthbert is, He's a much better defender than Cuthbert. He's a lot more experienced. So I think that's a real plus for the Lions. Mm. Okay. So I think that's pretty much... So that's, that's, the, that's the teams 
um, overall, I think we've both walked away, I think, well, um, we've walked away sort of saying, well, uh, probably mainly speaking, the changes, it was mainly positive for the Wallabies. I mean, it's interesting you said that, Dan. One of my reflections has been, you know, probably the, some of the best selection decisions that have happened for the Wallabies um, this year so far have all been through injury. <laughs> um, uh, and whereas for the British and Irish Lions, um, it's going to be interesting. It's probably overall strengthened it. Um, maybe just that discussion at, um, at, at the, in the front row is the one that we need to have. But otherwise, um, that's looking like a stronger team as well. So we go into this second test with, with, with two strong sides. Um, so, Isn't it funny how we walked away from that first test hmm. saying the Wallabies are in disarray, they've got all these injuries, there's going to be mass changes, and yet we end up with the Wallabies have made less changes than the Lions have. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Well, thank God. Well, I, I, th- I think that shows. Uh, I think it shows something about the the two coaches. I think, uh, given that uh, Deems has uh, had to uh, uh, pull a team together for three tests, he's not going to show all his cards in the first test. I don't think we've seen some of the things that we're going to see in the third test. Uh, there was a lot of uh, testing out, whereas the British and Irish Lions played pretty much as we expected. There were there were no surprises. Uh, I think there's something more to come from the way that the Wallabies play, and that's going to come across. I Just going back to uh, the point about the, the Lions' back line, I agree with Scott. I think Tommy Bow was nailed in from the start, and I think they wanted to get him back in there. Uh, I think that there is a weakness in 12 and 13, uh, that you've actually caught two players who are playing at the top of their game, but you actually don't have a natural 12 in there. And... Uh, Sometimes you have a team where the 15 will step in at uh, 10 when uh, the 10 is out of the play. And I just don't think they've got a decision maker outside Sexton uh, to make, make, a, make a difference. And I think this is where the Lions might just struggle to make anything more of their attack. Because at the moment, if you look at the, their first major attack, they went through 14, 15 phases before the, the penalty and then Will Genia ran off. And nothing really happened. They did as what they expected to do, the Gatlin ball coming around the corner. And there wasn't much wit about it. They've got some very good players there, but I don't know how many decision makers they've got in that outside Johnny Sexton. And I think that's going to be a bit of a problem in terms of their attacking intent. And I think it's a big, the big loss is not having Jamie Roberts there just to, to smash it up and get over the game line. Mm. That's a good point you make, Dan, because mm. if you think about the way that Davis and um, O'Driscoll played together, they actually were getting in each other's way, weren't they? So they, yeah. see they, they were almost playing in the same channel, which was the 13 channel, and then the two of them would think, well, someone's got to go inside, and they were both there again. It didn't look like a natural partnership. No, and I, I, it, it's not because they aren't very good players, because they've been playing at the top of the games. I mean, Davis is on an absolutely fantastic tour, uh, and if Jamie Rose had been fit, I think that would have been a very tough call if he'd... Uh, if he'd been dropped out. And uh, I think there's the, the Tommy Bow decision gives that back line some experience. Um, someone said, uh, I read today, someone said, well, how can a, a guy who beat four defenders be dropped? And I'm surprised that Cuthbert's on the bench because if they're saying that Tommy Bow is better, well, why not play someone who can cover, say, full back and centre? I know Farrell can cover inside centre. Uh, so... Uh, it, it just shows that to Gatman saying, right, we've got to win games, and yes, someone can score a try, but uh, he, he is inexperienced, uh, 
someone uh, can turn him inside out quite easily. Uh, he's he's not he's been good going forward, but let's get some experience on the pitch. But that's I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I don't think that the, that's it's a massive decision. Uh, but they could have maybe picked um, someone slightly different to Alex Cuthbert. Though I suspect he's probably feeling pretty disappointed that he does he does score a try, took a try well, and uh, not be in the team. Okay. Um, so let's move on then. So looking ahead to the weekend, and I guess some of these selections might come into it. But um, I guess what, one of the things that I uh, just asked if you might be able to give us an idea on, Dan, is... You know, what do you think are some of the key tactics that uh, these two teams, you know, having seen what we saw last weekend, um, will be taking into uh, into this match? Uh, well, I was looking at the Wallabies attack, uh, and Scott did a very good analysis of uh, the Wallabies' failure, in a sense, to actually exploit some of the spaces on the pitch. Um, I would, uh, dare I say, it, disagree with some of his uh, some of his conclusions uh, because. Uh, I think that the space is often offered by teams. They're saying, here's the space, play to this space. And it's, uh, uh, they say, right, let's kick, kick, um, kick wide and uh, we'll actually cover it. And also they offer space wide out so they can press the defence. And then as, uh, as the ball is moved out, they'll spread and cover that, that attack. Uh, where I think the Wallabies... Uh, when they scored their try, when Israel Falau scored his try, it was old-fashioned, pass the ball through four, five, six pairs of hands. I think that that's what's going to break down defences, because if you keep passing the ball, someone's got to hold in the line to cover the person carrying the ball. If you throw long cut-out passes, uh, it's easy for the defence to drift onto it. Um, I think that the Wallabies will be more effective this weekend because they have um, a... Uh, 10 and 12, who can both play 12 and 10, um, and they will see the spaces. I think you're quite right. I think James O'Connor is um, he's not uh, the finished article of fly half. Uh, if those spaces appeared in two years' time and he's played fly half pretty much all the time from there, he would be a different player. But if you've got uh, Leo Lefano um, in at 12, I think that uh, they will just exploit some of those spaces. And also I think if you've got... Two players who uh, aren't used to playing with each other in the centre, um, you've got a chance to actually um, make something of that. Now, I saw when those Wallabies attacked on the uh, on the weekend how many times John the Davis steps out of the line to make a spot tackle, and uh, it is quite incredible watching Scott's analysis how many times he steps forward to make the uh, spot tackle, and yet. They don't attack his inside shoulder. And I think this is a space that uh, Deans would have been watching and saying, let's attack that space. Let's attack that space inside Davis's inside shoulder. So I think that that's going to happen. The other thing is I think they're going to hold him a little bit more in midfield um, and then take the ball wide. Um, the interesting difference in tactic will be that Phillips likes to come up in the line. He is not a player who sits behind the defence. He, uh, he is someone who comes forward. I don't think that space behind the Lions' back, uh, back line will be there because Ben Youngs is a, a voracious coverer across. So I think the, the Australians would be best to attack the front line um, and maybe exploit the space wide, um, but also be wary that uh, I think the Lions will say, here's some space, attack this space. Um, 
I think they're slightly better off doing that. I thought that uh, was Ashley Cooper injured uh, so early that he didn't touch the ball. I mean, I didn't really see him make any of his usual sort of line breaks. I don't know what you thought, Scott, when you watched back the tapes. I, I just didn't think they were getting the ball to him, Dan, and I think that was the, the breakdown that they had at 12. By bringing Pat McCabe in, I'm sure they would have you know, been looking to include Ashley Cooper, even if he's just crashing the ball forward. He's very good at that. And not that Pat McCabe can't play that role, I just think it threw them. They were all such an inexperienced combination mm. that they almost lost the plan of what, what they needed to be doing. Um, but he, he's a key guy for Australia. You give him the ball, he will get over the gain line. Hmm. I, I think that that's uh, where they might, uh, that when you have that combination of uh, a 10 and 12, where the the ten's inexperienced and uh, the, the 12 is uh, sort of a, not quite a crash ball merchant, but he's not a player who puts other players away, then I think you lose a lot. And I think you said uh, quite rightly that maybe when... Uh, when the tw- uh, when the change was made right at the start, why not swap the fly half and put a more experienced fly half in? Maybe put Kirtley up into fly half or uh, even Berwick up into fly half. So someone who's got to rerun the game because the game plan completely changed. Uh, but I think that the opportunities for uh, the Wallabies in terms of attack is that they've got to play, uh, hold the inside defenders, attack inside uh, Jonathan Davis... Um, maybe uh, look to kick a bit more, a bit wider, because the Lions are saying, here's the space. They're, gi- yeah, they're if, giving that space. Yeah, if you look, I, I mean, I put a, another uh, piece of analysis up today where I looked at one particular play where the Wallabies actually did try and take that wide space, and because the Lions are using a straight-up defence and not a drift, except when they run scrums, scrum defence is a drift, they managed to get outside of Cuthbert. And unfortunately, Kirtley Bill didn't pass the ball. But I think the big change this week in those spaces I've been looking at, there are two changes, and you've identified both of them. One is that Youngs will be there, and he does drift in behind the line. So he's going to cover that space that appeared to be there when Phillips was the halfback. Uh, Phillips being the big guy, obviously, seems, as you say, to get up in the line and defend. The other change that you talked about, Tommy Bow. Now, Cuthbert, I've noticed him struggling at defence on the wing. He sort of gets caught in two minds as to whether I go forward or whether I hold back out of the line. Well, Tommy Bowe, with his experience, won't do that. So then even if there is space out wide, by hanging back from the line, I think he can cut that space off. So I think you're right that the wide space you know, that I've been showing in videos isn't going to be there as much this week. Um, it's interesting with John and Jonathan Davis, isn't it, that I wonder if he's not getting caught between the Welsh defensive system where he comes up at 13 in that umbrella and comes up hard and the English defensive system where they keep a flat line with no one rushing out of the line. And he looks to me like he's getting caught in between both. His natural reaction is to you know, come out of the line as he does for Wales. But then when he does that, the other players around him aren't reacting the same way. And he's coming from 12 doing that rather than 13. What do you think about that? Well, I, um, I think the thing is he's an intelligent defender. So uh, what happens is he does jump out of the line, but also there's a couple of occasions he'll jump out of the line and if he thinks he can't get there, he, he does drop back in. Uh, 
but he does it a lot, and I wonder whether the Australians have. Seen, well, it, it's it's obvious uh, when you look at the analysis that they'll have seen that. Uh, but he will he will drop back in, and of course, uh, O'Driscoll and Sexton are good tacklers. I th- I think uh, my own my own son said to me, uh, "Oh, Sexton, he he didn't he wasn't up for that tackle, um, which let Falau through." And I thought actually he was done by uh, he was in the wrong space. But he is a good tackler, and so actually you've got some good tacklers across the midfield there, uh, but they can be held. And uh, the important thing is that. Uh, for the Wallabies I'm speaking I don't want to, obviously I know who I want to win but for the Wallabies to break down that defence they've just got to hold those three good tacklers in position I don't know how good a tackler George North is I don't think he's been properly tested there again he's a very young player I mean fantastic with ball in hand you don't want to kick to him but how good is he in defence and I don't know whether they've tested him enough there mm. uh, and whether they've isolated him. And I think you're quite right about Kirtley coming into the line. He does sometimes beautifully carry the ball in two hands. Other times carries in one hand. He only seems to pass when it's the very, very last moment to pass. And uh, perhaps uh, if he passed a bit earlier and then supported in the old uh, in the old way of uh, more touches you get the ball, more chances you're going to score a try the Ella way. Uh, maybe if he passed a bit earlier... Um, they could just make a little bit more space. So I think that that's the, that's the challenge mm-hmm. uh, for the attack, is just to hold that defence a little longer, not throw out these long passes, because they've got experienced defenders who will shuffle across. And as Scott says, they do tend to play the English way, the flat line, um, and then shuffle across. So I think they'll offer the spaces, but I think just with the balance uh, in the Australian backs, there's a chance that they could hold and cut through. Okay, so that um, kind of, I guess, talks through maybe some of the backline threats. Um, I sensed earlier you you maybe thought, you know, for the forwards there might be some opportunity. I know, I know you feel that way as well, Scott, um, around set-piece with some of the changes that have been made. Sorry, yeah. Um, uh, sorry, that was to Dan. Was yeah, that... I thought so. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, um, well, I... My, my feeling is I was watching back the game and then I was watching Scott's analysis and uh, as other people have uh, said is that actually quite a lot of the scrums are becoming guesswork. Uh, there was one scrum where the Lions looked dominant and that was about it and the rest of it, it was it was a wrestle here and there and um, I think we could probably talk for months and months and analyse them for months and months on who should be going where I think it's just if you're almost flipping a coin on some of these scrums now, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be more of a restart situation than it's going to be a penalty opportunity. Mm. Uh, that's what my feeling is, and I think that uh, th- this these scrums in this match will not be um, the significant penalty fest that they have been before because the teams are a bit more even. I I, I agree. I think uh, that the Australians, for the first time in a while, probably fancy their chances. I think Stephen won an absolutely cracking game uh, over the weekend. He stayed on for the full eighty, and that's not uh, that's you don't often get that with a hooker. So I think there's a there's a good opportunity there. There's not quite the same grunt in the in the second row with Paul O'Connell not there, and um, so I think it's a lot more even. and And it'll be interesting to see if it turns out to be a bit of a um, an arm wrestle in the front row. Uh, but I can't see 
um, at one side absolutely dominating the scrum, which I think makes for a better game personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so then I guess we kind of get on to looking at it from a Lions point of view. Um, you know, what's the, you know, what do you think is the thing that's crying out that the Lions kind of will need to focus on on the weekend or um, a little tactic that you've spotted there, Dan? Um, well, again, I looked at the uh, the way that the Lions uh, set up their attacks and they do play this, um, what some people call Warren ball, which is they like to uh, hit uh, players up in the midfield and then use the speed of uh, realignment to attack. And the only attack where they really looked sharp was when Corbusero sort of broke a tackle or fell over after a tackle and suddenly he was behind the Australians and they flooded through uh, and they made a couple of attacks and in the end it ended up with a penalty on the five metre line which uh, the commentators in the UK were shouting yellow card, yellow card uh, for that and in the end of course Halfpenny slotted the uh, penalty. Mm-hmm. I think that they've lacked a bit in attack because they haven't generated that that go forward which they expected to do mm-hmm. and I think that they're going to be looking at ways of just creating that uh, by attacking uh, inside shoulders because they've run quite laterally on occasions and they haven't attacked in the same way now what you will notice about the Lions attack is they use a lot of what they call a tip play where they um, they pass to a big forward who just tips the ball on to another forward and I think the Australians have uh, cut that down very well. They're, they're hard to defence. The um, one, two, three, four players next to the ruck tackle very well. And they've always tackled well. I mean, even when these big Springbok sides say we're going to come run over you, the Australians have stepped up and smashed them back. I think that they might be better off just attacking slightly wider, maybe putting a big player through there, someone who would have been Jamie Roberts attacking through that area. Uh, get a bit more go forward and of course Youngs will whip the ball off and I think that's where they'll get a bit more joy this this week I think also um, they might vary the attack a bit more Uh, they've had a lot of success with these chip kicks Uh, as Scott says uh, maybe the uh, Wallabies could have chipped over the um, the Lions a bit more I think that um, Sexton's got that ability to mix up the game but I don't think they got as much possession as they wanted and uh, also, as again, uh, lots of people said, they threw to the front of the line a lot, uh, which narrows their game and plays into the strong, strong uh, heart of defence of the Australians. Maybe they'll play a little bit wider. Uh, they'll push forwards in a little bit wider. Tom Youngs might be getting the ball uh, beyond 12 and hit, hit them there. Mm-hmm. But it's that speed of realignment which will be absolutely key. If they can get realigned quickly... Um, and run straight. I mean, it's it's simple stuff. Uh, that's where I think they'll they'll start to um, make make a difference. Okay. Now, Scott, I saw that you tweeted just before we um, started this podcast, actually, about the sort of the, the kicking stats versus the lineout stats, um, which was that both teams were, were were kicking about the same, um, but just that one side was obviously wasn't looking for the lineouts. What was the thinking? What was it that you noticed there? Well, I just noticed that the Wallabies only had five lineouts, mm. uh, which is a very low number for a test match. Um, you know, it's it's rare that you see more scrums than lineouts. The Lions were sort of in the normal sort of mix where they had more lineouts. They had twelve, so that must mean that the Lions were taking the view we don't want to put the ball out. 
I don't quite understand why that is, because I would have thought the Lions went into the game thinking they'd have an advantage at line-out time. Uh, but what I think you may find this week is that they will want to put the ball out, because one thing Parling is, uh, is a very good defensive line-out operator. Mm. He takes a lot of ball away from teams, so I wouldn't be surprised if they put the ball out a little more and try and attack the Wallabies line-out. They weren't very effective in their defensive line-out. Although they were getting guys up, they were they were only half up. Um, interesting also, and some just to f- take further on Dan's comments, um, I think the Lions would be looking at that 10-12 channel. And Leo Lafano, no matter the fact that he's past fit, you know, he's got to be a little bit gun-shy of making a tackle. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, say from a line-out, trying to get Dan Lydiot out into that channel. Big, strong guy, and have him run there. The other thing is there's lots of talk about the Wallabies, you know, potentially bringing Kirtley Beale up into 10 at times. Well, Kirtley Beale's had a dreadful year in defence. You know, he's only running at 62% completion. He, he's not a great defender. If he's there, and Leo Lafano might be a little gun-shy, I'd be looking for somebody like a Lydiat. You know, Croft plays that much wider, so that's not, you know, I can see why he's on the bench. Lydiat's a lot tighter player, but, you know, he's a very physical player. I can't see our 10 and 12 being happy at having him run at them. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, just to your point about, you know, the, the Lions and not kicking towards the, the touch, I do wonder if that's because, you know, once they kicked it down Barrick's neck a couple of times and he, you know, he gifted back a couple of tries, they thought, we'll keep trying this. <laughs> that, that, that might have been it. But, um, and it, okay. So uh, that, that sounds like, um, you know, some great ideas as far as what we're probably going to see um, evolve this weekend. Um, I'll, I'll leave to the end of the podcast um, in a minute just to say uh, what we think as far as uh, kind of, you know, what our predictions are. Um, but in the meantime, let's just talk maybe a, a little bit of news uh, of sort of, 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 of what's been going on. I mean, one of those things, and I know you had a view on it, on Scott, on, on Twitter, was um, about, um, you know, the two of the three amigos uh, being photographed at a Hungry Jack's at um, four in the morning on Wednesday morning in Melbourne. Um, now, I, I think this surprised, this took everybody by surprise, including Bill Pulver, um, who, but I think the AOU came back and said, no, it's all okay. You know, they weren't drinking and they had that day off. Um, I don't think you share the same opinion, Scott? No, well, it's good they weren't drinking. That's, mm. a, that's a positive. Especially for Kirtley, <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah, but look, and, and you look, when you're 22, 23, and we all went out till you know, the sun came up, but when you got, you know, the biggest test match Australia's had in 12 years, because that's how critical this game is. If we lose this and the series is gone, you know, massive opportunity missed. You're four days out from it, and your two guys who we're talking about are going to drive the game, who are both going to be our playmakers, are out until, well, they're out at four o'clock in the morning. They've still got to get back to the hotel and go to sleep. Mm. And even if they haven't got um, anything to do until the afternoon, it's not the best preparation. And I don't, you know, even though the ARU has said um, it's not a problem, they've said it's not ideal. And I think that's all political correctness there. I don't, it, I don't understand how the team is running amok like they're running amok. They didn't do anything illegal. They didn't get into any trouble. But that's not good for preparation and somebody has to be able to influence these young men so that they themselves can look at it and say we've gone to the rebels we go out till midnight with our mates to support them we won't have a drink and then we'll head back to the hotel 
and we'll have a good full night's rest. And even if we've got nothing to do in the morning, we get up and we're totally refreshed. Mm. No, I mean, it, it's, 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 it seems crazy. I mean, the other bit that we know is that, um, uh, you know, when, when they were in Queensland, is that, uh, you know, the, the, the Queensland guys were um, on Friday night basically allowed out um, to go home. And I guess that's not crazy. Um, but then they weren't required back in camp until four o'clock the game day. Yeah, again, so, you know, they, the, the guys in Queensland, they had a hotel room paid for them, but they didn't have to stay there, which is fair enough. You do that during the week. But the night before the first test, you haven't sort of said, no, guys, I want you all in the hotel together and we're all going to have dinner together or we're going to play video games together or whatever you're going to do. And even then they make the decision, well, you don't have to be back at 4 o'clock. I would have thought, you know, at least by lunchtime, get back together, mm. start thinking about as a team. I know you don't want to live in each other's pocket, but... Mm. Well, four, like, by 4 o'clock, I mean, you know, you could have a traffic incident and someone could miss it. I mean, it's getting close enough, isn't it? Um, that, that seems quite astounding. Does it seem crazy to you, Dan, or are we being, um, are we being, too, are we being too harsh here? Um, I think that uh, in one sense you've probably... Uh, been quite right because it is quite sensitive that you lose a game and you think everybody should be sackcloth and ashes and uh, uh, doing everything they can to win the next game. But uh, I think also there's a hell of a lot of pressure on these players and they live in a little bubble and actually they need to break out of that bubble and just be themselves. They've got to go out and play in front of 50,000, 60,000 uh, other weekend and they need to have a little bit of space and I think that they can be in a bubble all the time because they're on top of each other um, and then they go out into the into the game and uh, it's not like you're playing Sunday afternoon uh, footy it's uh, it's people uh, who aren't you know, so your friends shouting at you and sometimes I think there's a there's a good reason to let your hair down and enjoy yourselves and I the other thing is I'm just not protect them in one sense, is that uh, I don't think it matters they're out until 4 o'clock. All the games are, um, I think, well, what what time are they? they 8 o'clock your, your yeah, time? Yeah, 8 p.m., yeah. Uh, if, I, if I had to get up at uh, for my breakfast at 9 o'clock, uh, that's a hell of a long time until the game uh, in, in the evening in terms of patterns. I, I mean, I've been involved in international games where uh, it is the worst four or five hours of dead time from nine o'clock until two o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon, it is murderous because you cannot do anything. You cannot go anywhere because uh, you're, you're, lo- you're looking after yourself. You have to be very careful what you eat. So actually, I don't think in terms of lateness to bed, uh, I would uh, I would be too worried. However, given all the other things which are going on in a team which is under pressure and with players under pressure, there is somebody is not giving them the right advice, and it they. I'm not sure. I, I don't necessarily know enough about these players, but there isn't like an old uncle in that team who's putting their arm around the shoulder and say, hey, look, kids, you know, stick with me and uh, you'll be all right. And uh, if it's stick with me and we'll go out until four o'clock, but I'll keep you away from the press, then is there, that's what perhaps they're missing. Yeah. And I just feel the British and Irish Lions, for the first time, they've, they've kept well away from any banana skins. Uh, there's been no dwarf throwing, no jumping into uh, lakes or uh, swimming over to boats. And somebody, and it won't just be Warren, has been next to the, the naughty boys and saying, stick with me. Well, I wouldn't, and, I, uh, I wouldn't, I, I'd do whatever Paul O'Connell told me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <that's, 
Um, <laughs> well, exactly. And I'm not sure uh, there's there's that sort of uh, there's that personality in the uh, uh, Aussie side. So it has to come from within the squad. It, uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, many years ago when we were at school. Uh, we did certainly what some of the teachers said to us, uh, but really it was the people around us who led us astray. It was always the naughty boy who took the vodka on uh, on the school trip uh, who led us astray, not the teacher who said don't drink the vodka, uh, not that I was that boy, but there are, there, I'm not sure if there's that um, that sort of character. Maybe they're all, they're all very quiet in the uh, Wallaby team and uh, therefore the little kids can go out and have a play. Now, the, the one thing I know we were just talking uh, before we came on air, Dan, that you think might be an element that's been overlooked here, um, because on our site, as you know, um, we're lucky enough to have Scott and some other um, analysts who, uh, you know, can dissect tactics and selection and all these sorts of things. But sometimes the thing that we forget, um, and you only have to talk to players in the game, and they'll talk about it, culture and passion, um, can be the thing that, you know, can be what we leave out. And I know talking to you, you were saying, you know, that just could be the factor that decides this, this, this test. What, what was your thinking around that? And who, who do you well, think is going to have the advantage then from that perspective? Well, I think uh, it's, um, we, there's a welter of um, statistics and it's made the game uh, a much better game in some ways because uh, we know a lot more about uh, how many kicks, where they were, how many runs people made. Uh, you look at players like Warburton, uh, their state of mind and the way they were playing at the start of the Six Nations, and he looked a shell of the player, uh, but his confidence has grown and grown. And uh, I still don't think he's um, at, at full pace yet, but he is a much more confident player. And that, that very, very first tackle of the the match when uh, Christian Lenefano, uh bashed into Jonathan Davis, he put his heart and soul into that tackle, but... Uh, because he was emotionally fired up, he got himself into an all sorts of mess, and uh, that's why he got knocked out. Emotionally, I think uh, the players who look the calmest will probably be the Lions going into this game. Uh, but I think that uh, the Wallabies will be so fired up, I think they'll face uh, that they will um, fire a storm at the Lions, and uh, they'll be all over them like a green and gold rash. And uh, that just might uh, be the difference. And that's why I think that someone like Lydiate, who seems just to play uh, without emotion, will be key. But the emotional content of the next game uh, will be fascinating because I think that's where the penalties will be given away. I think the players will be very astute in the way that they challenge at the breakdown. It will be players going off their feet and the way that the referee reacts to that will probably decide the game and someone said um, quite cleverly and I wish it was my line who's going to win well the game what's the difference going to be and the score difference will be Lee Halfpenny because uh, he will kick that higher percentage and um, he is as he is cold as ice he says himself he's an emotional wreck uh, but he doesn't look like an emotional wreck at the moment so so, so, if, if I, so I'm just trying to make sure I've got it right are you saying because I thought when you were talking about this, you were saying, look, the team that's most up for it. So, for example, like the State of Origin game, which um, I uh, caught a bit of this week, and it was quite clear that, you know, Queensland just came out and just bulldozed and just blew away. Um, you know, they're, they're running a, you know, a, a yard faster, hitting everything a bit harder. Um, and that was because, you know, they had their backs against the wall. They were also in their hometown, um, and their dander was up, and New South Wales just couldn't cope with it. 
Now, are you saying that uh, whichever team can come out and fire like that, um, and I think to an extent like the Wallabies did in the first test it, around the breakdown where they really, um, you know, especially in defence, really smashed in that they can put some dominance on? Or are you saying, no, 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 actually it's the other way around. It's the guys who keep their, keep their cool um, and look for the right opportunities and keep their discipline are the guys who are going to prevail. Uh, I think it's a bit of both. Um, right. I think if you looked at the the Welsh the Wales England game um, at the end of the Six Nations, the Welsh team um, came in with the crowd behind them and absolutely smashed the English, um, and uh, they were the better team on the day. And I think that's uh, that's where I think a major part of the game will be won and lost. But it's then being able to control that um, in in the crucial areas and. I think that the, the, the Wallaby defence was um, immense, as you said, and I think it's going to come out even harder. They know they're under pressure. Some of these players know that uh, what's been written about them in the press. Um, they, will, they will cause a lot of trouble. I just wonder whether Joubert will, um, how he will control the breakdown because I think that uh, the danger is that uh, someone will see the ball and fall, apart from maybe Rolf Simmons, as you say, and they will go for it. And if they go off their feet, you might say, well, that's right, that's a penalty, and then half Benny will do it. But the, the point, I suppose, that I'm coming back to is I think that the emotional state of the players in this one uh, will probably favour the Wallabies. Okay. Scott, did you have a point on that? Yeah, I did. So look, whenever I coach a team, that's one of the things you try and do is keep your players calm before the game. So I think it's different from when you, know, you used to hear about old teams you know, in the dressing room slapping each other around the face, getting warmed up, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to belt them. That's when you make mistakes. And as Dan says, the mistakes mightn't be that we drop the ball. Although if, you, if you're thinking about, I'm going to catch this ball, I'm going to run into someone or I'm going to belt someone in a tackle, that does help with mistakes. But the mistakes can be more along the lines of, exactly as Dan says, make a mistake where you get penalised. Um, and we also do the same at halftime. You know, one of the things you do at halftime is to calm players down. You don't want them all getting fired up and and really when you're playing at a certain level you know no matter how hard and how razzed up you get everybody that's not going to make the difference it's going to be executing your plays working as a team and for that you need calm heads and that's where experienced players are so valuable so as Dan said it's a it's a bit of you know trying to work out the right balance rather than just everyone fire up, you know, we've got to hit the tackle bags really hard or whatever it is we do to get ourselves fired up. You know, you need to balance that with, you know, keep your cool head. Okay. All righty. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think that uh, the, the point you made about Phillips chasing back Genya, um, I think if he was really fired up, he would have been sprinting back. He would have been saying, I'm not going to let this guy uh, beat me. It's been something everyone's talked about in the press all week about the fact that uh, it's uh, Phillips versus Genya and who's going to win. I think if I was Phillips and I was really fired up, I would be chasing back as fast as I could to to grab him and if you know, grab him even after he's passed the ball. I think the key, is, as Scott says, is uh, when you've got to keep your cool. In defence, well, you just uh, put yourselves all over them and you tackle everything. You've got an enormous amount of energy. You attack through defence. And perhaps uh, the tactic should be, right, we've got all this emotional energy. We really want to smash the Lions this one. Let's kick the ball down there. Let them play out. Um, and then we'll just be all over them. Uh, rather than trying to uh, fiddle around in, in the middle of the park, let's, um, let's take the game to them. Let them make the errors. Uh, obviously, don't kick the ball to George. 
uh, kick the ball anywhere else but with to him, or alternatively kick the ball to George, but land three or four players on him. If he's smashed back in that first tackle, uh, he's he's a young guy. He might not think. Uh, well, last time I ran through them, let's stick a couple of bombs on him and um, uh, do a Ray Gravel. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, uh, you hit him early if, if if not at all. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I, well, for that we just need a kick chase though, which uh, was kind of sadly lacking um, a fair bit on the Saturday. So look, let's um, let's cut to the chase, shall we? Um, as you, this is this was meant to be actually quite a brief podcast, but we've had a great chat, um, and I think our listeners are used to us. Um, getting into detail. But to finish up then, how do we think this is going to end up? I mean, you know, this is it. This is the crucial game. Um, you know, no win for the Wallabies, end of series, um, which I think for anybody, even if you're a, well, sorry, anybody who's not a fervent Lions supporter would probably be a bit gutted by. Um, how do you think it's going to end up? I'll, 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 start with, uh, I'll start with you, Dan. What's, what's your gut? Um, I think uh, my gut is just with the Lions at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's so tight. It's much tighter than uh, people expect. Um, but um, I know people will say uh, it's very easy to say after twenty minutes. But I think uh, you'd pretty be able to tell pretty much after ten minutes uh, how the game's going to go because, as I said, of that emotional energy. And um, so I would probably go with the Lions. And the, the key reason being that half penny kicks the goals. Alrighty, Scott. I think it's going to be another close one, a lot closer than I had thought it would be. I think the team changes, you know, the, the Wallabies look quite settled. I know the Lions have brought in some good players and, and probably bolstered it, but, you know, it's a bit of another combination again. Um, I think it, it the first 10, 15 minutes for me will show more about what the Wallabies are doing if Lee Lafano, you know, stays on more than one tackle. Um, because I still believe that if they can play some, some free-flowing footy and keep the pace up, keep the ball moving, that's their best chance. And if we see them playing a very tight control game in the first 20 minutes, I think the Lions will get it. Um, so, I, yeah, let's hope. I, I want to see the, the Wallabies using a fast-paced game. Okay. Um, so, I'm try- so that was a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> just the lines. A close game, just the lines. Okay. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's a toughie. I'm, I'm, I'm with both of you guys. I think it's going to be incredibly close, and so therefore, I see your rationale, Dan, which is, you know, with Halfpenny taking the, his kicks, um, you know, that, that, that's in the favour. I must admit, I was surprised last week. I hate to say it, but I was surprised how not just how close we were, but actually, in some facets, a little bit dominant. And you know, we left 14 points out there. Um, which even if you only had like a 60 or 70% kicking rate, you know, that, that would have got us home. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and with the, with the way the, the, the teams have leveled up, I don't know, I, I kind of feel the Wallabies can, can do this one. We had so much that misfired last week, so much, not just through injuries, but also, you know, players not quite there. You know, we've talked about O'Connor. But you, you kind of feel just some basic stuff would have to improve what we've done. Um, that I kind of feel, I actually think there's, that, I mean, there's got to be a lot more improvement in the Wallabies um, than I think potentially in the Lions. So there you go. I'm going to go with that. Um, I'm going to pretend it's a state of origin series where, which always gets levelled up anyway, um, and say that's what's going to happen. Maybe it's, I hope you're right. Man. Even if it's well, I, I, even if it's I hope you're right. I hope you're right because um, only because uh, though I want to see the Lions win overall. Yeah. I think it'd be a great disappointment if that last game was a is a dead rubber. Exactly. Because I think that's uh, 
there's a, there's a danger that uh, both both coaches then throw in um, slightly second choices, and that devalues it. Uh, so in that sense, I hope that it's a um, it's a Wallaby win. But in the end, obviously, I want a Lions win. Yeah, got you. Well, listen, mate, that's been excellent. That's been a great chat. Thanks for getting up early and um, coming on and having a, a chat with us. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, you are on Twitter. So that's um, at Dan underscore Cottrell, C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. Um, and like I say, you know, you're editor of Rugby Coach Weekly, so people can go and find you there as well. Um, thanks, mate. I, I hope you have a good weekend. How, how is, it, is it going to be watching the game over a coffee Saturday morning? Is that how it works? Or um, For me, yes. It's nothing more exciting than uh, sitting there with a, a cup of tea, a rich tea biscuit, um, <laughs> and in my tweeds and my bobble hat. Um, cheering at the screen, yes. So not, nothing, nothing more exciting than that. Okay, good one. All righty. Well, um, and Scott, what about you, mate? Where, where are you going to be watching? Uh, I think I'll be at home. Actually, oh, okay. I, I, I don't like for big games. I don't like going out in a crowd and watching a screen. I'd rather <laughs> sit at home and yell at the screen. <laughs> yeah. Pro- private pain is the best way. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Especially when you know when the probabilities are that we, you know, well. If the series is going to go, you know, it's only going to go for us, not Lions supporters on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, so being out in a sea of red. I think I'm going to be out and about in Sydney, actually, at a bar or something. So I'm heightening my risk. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for downloading or listening. Um, good to have you back. I think our next podcast um, will be um, after the match, obviously, um, probably Monday or um, Tuesday next week. Um, but um, until then, um, I'll speak to you then. Okay. Thanks, Dan, and thanks, everyone. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, right there, right there.